Welcome to Journey, a 9.30 edition. It's a packed house. Glad to see you all here. Uh, we're going to be starting a new year with a new series. And so how many of you guys get a word for the year? Anybody get a word for the year? How many of you guys have a word for 2023? A lot of people get a word. They feel like it's kind of their word for the year. I used to not get those very much, like at all, until like 2021, I got one, and it was the word loss. Now, no one wants to get a word like that, right? And I, I come to find out that it was actually a good thing. God was like giving me some things that it's like, there are some things that need to fall away that's going to actually be better. And then 2022, how many of you guys were with us for the 100 Day Dare? We started off talking about that word tov and how that Hebrew word tov is the word for good and how God said it is good, it is good, it is tov, it is tov. And that was kind of my, year, my word for last year. And this year, I started to get a word that was really for, it started off as just, I was praying for my kids and a couple of my daughters, and the word was change, and it began to kind of grow from there and, and expand out, and I felt like it was more than just for uh, my family, that it was actually for our church, and it kind of developed into this word that we're actually going to be calling this series, which we'll be in for quite a while, and it's the word transformed. And we're going to be starting a brand new series in the book of Acts. And if you know anything about the book of Acts, it's packed with stuff. And so we are going to dive all the way. We're not going to go verse by verse, but we are going to move through it. And it's going to take a while to get through the book of Acts. But the book of Acts really is all about being transformed. Does anybody have anything in your life that you'd like to see transformed in 2023? Anybody? I mean, is it just me? Or are there some things we'd like to see in our life transformed? Yeah, there's a lot. How many of you guys have New Year's resolutions? It's okay to have some New Year's resolutions if you've got some of those. Everybody's shy about it. Like nobody wants to admit that they've got one because you're going on record now, right? But if you got some, and how many of you guys just quit doing them all together because you just failed so many times? All right, that's the rest, most of the population. Okay. Well, there's probably reason for that. I mean, according to Insider, about 23% of New Year's resolutions fail within the first week. So uh, how many of you guys are still going strong with yours? Anybody? Do we have anybody? Hey, there's some people. You guys are above average. So, uh, But what I'm saying is this, that New Year's resolutions are good and you know, making life change is good, but it's going to take more than willpower to do some things that I believe God is calling us to do in 2023. And willpower is good, and you know, God gives us a will but there, as we study the book of Acts, there's a key verse in the book of Acts that's really a key verse in all of Scripture, but it's an anchor verse in the book of Acts. And it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you have a Bible, bring it, even if you don't crack it open, because I know I go pretty fast. But I like to hold my Bible. I have it up here with me every single time I preach, just because I like to have it with me. But here's the verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. Can everybody say Power. All right, let's say it again like we mean it. Say power. power. This is kind of what he's talking about. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so these disciples that Jesus is talking to were literally transformed. I mean, from the, what we see of them in the Gospels, 
to what we see of them in the book of Acts, it's like night and day. In the, the Gospels, many of them were kind of all over the place. They were cowering in different times. They were rejecting Jesus at times. They were in fear many times. They were not confident many times. Then you go to the book of Acts, and then something happens where now they are bold. Now they are confident. Now they are walking in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They're being built up. The things are multiplied, as Acts 9.31 says. There's something that's happened. They have been transformed. For the disciples, there was literally a before and after. You know, there was a part one and a part two, and, which is exactly what the book of Acts actually is. It's a part two. Why do I say that? Well, let's look all the way at the very beginning. Go back to the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the first book, I want you to take note of that, in the first book, O Theophilus. Now, he mentions this name that many of us kind of just read past many times. It says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He himself, or he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so the author of the book of Acts says, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about this. So what's the first book? Because this isn't the first book. What is the first book? And who is Theophilus? Theophilus, the name literally means friend of God. And so some people believe that the author was writing to uh, anyone who would call themselves a friend of God, which that would be you and I, right? I mean, it would, it would be to all of us or to any of us, and that certainly is true. Regardless of how you interpret it, he was writing it to any one of us who would be the friend of God. Some people believe that Theophilus was actually a literal person who was possibly a new convert at the time that the first book was written. And so there's many theories about it, but one thing I want you to see is the author is actually Luke, and we know that for several reasons, but if you go back to the book of Luke, and Luke chapter 1, so we've got Acts 1, where he mentions Theophilus, now Luke chapter 1, verse 1, inasmuch as you many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. So here these two books are tied together by this guy, Theophilus. And in Acts chapter 1, he says, in the first book I wrote about all that Jesus did. And here in Luke, he started off by saying, hey, here's an account of all that Jesus did. And so what I'm saying is that Luke is obviously the author of the book of Luke, and he's the author of Acts. But what's interesting is that Luke is actually part one. Acts is part two, right? So this is really one big, you could look at it as one big book together between Luke and the book of Acts. Luke is part one, Acts is part two. Guess what? You and I are part three. I want you to catch that because that is so true. He wrote part one, part two, but you and I are part three. And as I said earlier, it's gonna take more than willpower to do some things this year. So here's what I want you to catch. You need the power of God 
to do what God has called you to do this year. It's not just willpower that you need. That, although that, that can be helpful. You need the power of God to do what God has called you to do this year. And, and if you don't think you do, then you're not thinking God-sized. <laughs> if you don't think you need the power of God to do what God has called you to do, then you are thinking naturally-minded and not spiritually-minded. Because how many of you guys know, even just practically, that there are some people in your life that you have to have supernatural love even just to love them. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and that's not even a joke. That's like literal. I mean, that's like real. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is what? It is the power of God flowing through you to supernaturally produce love. It, the fruit of the Spirit is the power of God flowing through you to produce a supernatural patience in your life that you cannot have on your own. And so even just to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, and by the way, if you want to know more about that, I did a whole sermon series on that last summer, but it is the power of God that produces those things in your life. But even beyond that, how many of you guys want to see a breakthrough this year? Anybody, some breakthrough in the area of your life, healing, finances, you know, relationships. Can I just tell you, it's going to take the power of God to get that done. If you want to walk in a new level of freedom, it's going to take the power of God to get that done. If you want to walk in a new level of, if anybody got anybody need to forgive this year? It's going to take the power of God to get that done. Because you can't do some of these things on your own. You can't even do some of these things with even just thinking new thoughts as much as even the Bible talks about renewing our mind and we should do those things. But there's some things that, it, you know, if you're gonna start that new ministry God has called you to do, it's gonna take the power of God. To some of you guys, God has called you to step out in a new area of business and you think it's just all natural stuff. No, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's some power of God that's needed to do what God has asked you to do this year. You need the power of God to do what God has asked you to do this year. You know, uh, it's been about four and a half years ago, but I took my first sabbatical four and a half years ago. And if you don't know what a sabbatical is, it's a, an extended time. We really call it like an extended Sabbath. And if you don't know what a Sabbath is, a Sabbath is a, a day a week that God designed as a per, as, for a place of rest, rejuvenation, a place where we trust God and say, God, I believe that at least one day of the week you can run the world without me, right? And I'm going to honor you with that, and I'm going to trust you with that. So a sabbatical is an extended Sabbath. And I took my very first one about four and a half years ago, and for all of our staff at Journey, we are trying to build in that every five years that somebody's with us, that every one of our staff will, will take a sabbatical. And what I found is that whenever someone takes a sabbatical, they don't, like if you were just even to look at it naturally, more stuff gets done because they took a sabbatical than if they had not taken a sabbatical. Something interesting about the principles of God that whenever you honor them and whenever you rest, that God takes what you have like that little boy with the meal and he gives it to Jesus and Jesus multiplies it so that there's 12 baskets full left over. That's kind of how it works. And so I'm coming up on the fifth year and as I was approaching that, I was like surprised, like already, like here we are already. And I'm like, I don't need a sabbatical. Like, I, I'm not going to take a sabbatical. And then I was like, no, no, no. I've preached this to our team that this is what we do. And so at first I was kind of pushing back on it. And then I was like, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to do this. And as I was praying about it, 
I was, I've got a date for when it's going to happen. It's going to start on May 15th of this year. And as I was praying about it, I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit to believe God that on May 15th of this year, that I will be as healthy as I've ever been in my life. And that may sound strange to some, like, to, like a nudge from the Holy Spirit, but I felt like physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, all, of, all of the above, I felt like to believe God that I would be the strongest that I've ever been, the healthiest I've ever been going into sabbatical so that I wouldn't go into it from a place of depletion, but I would go into it from a place of strength. Now, there's a lot that I can do to participate in that, right? I mean, I can work out, I can do, I can eat right, I can do things, I can read my, I can do a lot of stuff. I can do part of what it takes to get there. But if I think I can do all of what it takes to get there, I've actually not gotten there. Because spiritually, I cannot be the healthiest I've ever been on my own. And so to even do what God has called me to do in that one area, which is a big area, I admit, to be the healthiest you've ever been, right? I'm not there right now, okay? So believe with me, okay? But to, to, to even step into that, I have to invite God's power. I have to invite God's power into the, to my emotions. I have to invite God's power into my thought life. I have to invite God's power and God's strength into my life to, in order to do that. Without it, I fail. And here's what I want, want you to catch, that whatever God has asked you to do this year, you need God's power to do it. Shortcuts are just going to lead to short circuits. Your strength is only going to lead to weakness. You cannot do it without God's power. And here's what I've learned about so many believers, just pastoring now for a couple decades, there are so many believers who are walking in God's grace, but not walking in God's power. We've experienced the good news of the, of the cross, that Jesus died for our sins, he rose from the dead, that we are you know, walking, we have the ability to walk free from sin, that our home is in heaven. We've experienced all of that, and that's amazing. It's wonderful. But have you guys know that God did not just die on the cross, raised from the dead, just so that we could only experience our foot through the door. He wants us to walk in his power. And so many believers are walking in God's grace, but not in his power. Zechariah chapter four, verse six. It's a famous verse in scripture. It says, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. There's a whole story behind that. Uh, obviously, we don't have time to get into, but it says, not by might, not, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What's he talking about here? He's, it's, he's saying, not by your might <laughs> is this gonna happen. Not by your power is this going to happen, but it's by the Spirit of God that's going to happen. Brady, Pastor Brady Boyd said it this way, very simply. He said, too many Christ followers are doing the right things in the wrong power. Too many Christ followers are doing the right things in the wrong power. So some of us are hitting a wall over and over and over again. We're saying, God, I'm doing the right things but we're doing it in our own strength. We're doing it in our own power. It is going to take the power of God to do what God has asked you to do this year. There's, there's no more place for you to go except for the power of God. Now, 
some, somebody might be here saying, man, but Pastor Sean, if there was only a way I could like learn more about this, if there's only a way I could step into understanding the, the workings of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, I would just jump on it. I would just take that opportunity. I don't know how to step in. I am so glad you guys asked me for that. I'm just so glad because I've asked me to give you an announcement about what we have coming up. So I'm throwing it to me. Let's go. Let's watch it. School of the Spirit is a class based on Pastor Lee Cummings' book called School of the Spirit. And it has video-based curriculum that's gonna go with it. We're gonna provide a book to go with it as well. It's really an opportunity for us. I mean, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you're just getting started, you have questions about the Holy Spirit and the workings of the Holy Spirit, or whether you're a seasoned believer in that area, it gives us a foundation for the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he's all about, and then also gives us an opportunity to dive deeper into life in the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And so we're gonna have a class uh, on January 17th, four Tuesday nights in a row, on the School of the Spirit. And so if you wanna be involved in that, here's a little bit from Lee Cummings' book. How much of the Holy Spirit do you want? People tend to avoid what they can't control. Believers often shy away from the Holy Spirit because we don't know who he really is or what he might do. But if we let him into our lives, he'll come with his power and change us forever. In School of the Spirit, Pastor Lee M. Cummings encourages believers to get to know the Holy Spirit. He illuminates biblical truths and answers common questions. If you trust Jesus, then you can trust the Holy Spirit too. All right, so if you wanna get involved, we need you to register because we need to know how many people are coming. I promise you it's going to be worth your time and you're gonna get stirred up so that the power of God cannot just be something you know about, but something that actually flows through you and works through you right here, right now, here on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so if you are interested, there's really no excuse to dive in. In fact, we already have, uh, I just checked, we already have 49 people registered for the class. So if you want to jump in on that, you can register, and we're just going to go deeper into this so that we can understand what it's like to walk in the power, uh, more of the power of God. So what were some of the things that the disciples did to invite this power? You know, because Jesus says, you will receive so what did they do in the meantime? Well, let's look at this. Keep reading. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, And while they were staying with them, or while staying with them, he ordered, and that's Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So there's the key. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So I'm going to give you three things that they did. And some people are like, well, why is it three? Do preachers always do three points? And what's the deal with that? Uh, I, I really think that the reason why there's usually three or four or five things is because usually when we study something like this, it's, it's never as simple as just one thing, but it's not more complex than like 25 things, right? God gives us something that we can latch onto and say, okay, I can walk that out as we see some things happening in the story. And I believe that's the case here. It, so it says, while they were there, they gave, Jesus gave them an instruction. So the first thing they did, and I believe it applies to us as well, is they just obeyed simple instructions. Wait. He didn't even tell them to pray. They did pray while they were waiting, but he just told them to wait. They prayed, but waiting was the task. Simple. 
Just wait. But how do you guys know that simple is never easy, right? Have you ever waited for anything? So Jesus gives them a simple thing to do. Just wait. And how many times in our life is there something that God gives us that is very simple, but because our impatience or quite possibly our pride keeps us from doing the simple instruction? I'm always drawn to the story of Naaman in the Old Testament who goes to the prophet. He has leprosy, and the prophet tells him, if you want to be cured, dip in the river seven times. How many of you guys know that's really simple to do? Just dunk yourself seven times. He almost didn't do it, and he almost didn't get healed because it was a simple instruction that was very hard. Why was it hard? It was hard because of pride. There are times in our life when God gives us very simple instructions, but the simple instruction becomes very hard because pride keeps us from doing something so simple in our life. You think about Peter who first encounters Jesus. He's a fisherman by trade. He knows what he's doing. He's been fishing all night. And then Jesus, this random dude from the shore, calls out to him and says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Peter could have easily said, what are you talking about? I'm a fisherman. I know what I've been doing. I've been doing this all my life. I've been doing this all night. I'm not going to just throw it on the other side of the boat. But it was a very simple thing. But he almost could have missed it because of pride. Well, I know what I'm doing. But he throws it on the other side of the boat, and guess what? I mean, it's a haul so big he can't even hardly get it in into shore, right? How many times do we have things in our life that God asks us to do that, that are simple things? But we think, it's not connected to what, it's not the key, it's not the thing. I'm not going to do that. Like, that's so small. That's not, it doesn't seem to be giving me progress. I don't want to do that. And because it's so simple, sometimes the simple things, because our pride gets in the way. And, and what I'm proposing today is, what if you are one act away from unlocking the power of God in your life? Just what if? What if you were, one, throwing the net on the other side away from unlocking the power of God in your life? What if you were one class away from stepping into, like we talked about that classroom? What if you were one moment away? What if you were one act away? What if you were one conversation away? Because most likely God's power is going to be attached to your simple obedience. Let me say that again, because I don't know if I, I got a half person who got it. So mo most likely God's power is attached to your simple obedience. Good news is this, you don't have to bring the power, all you have to do is bring the obedience. When you bring the obedience, God brings the power. The power is something you could never bring, but the power is not something you have to bring. Usually it's just something simple that God asks us to do that opens the door. And so anybody looking for a breakthrough this year? Anybody want something that, that maybe to transform this year? Yeah, a lot of us. What, what I'm saying is this, that simple obedience over time equals breakthrough. It's usually in the consistent, simple obedience where we're saying, God, I don't see where you're at. God, I don't know why this is making a difference, but God, I know you've asked me to do this, and so I'm gonna just keep doing this and keep doing this and keep doing this until eventually, boom, the breakthrough comes. As we say, it seems like God rarely acts quickly, but when he does act, he acts suddenly. That's not by accident. God acts 
when, when he acts in those moments, but it's, it's usually attached to a string of faithful, simple, like I'm going to keep serving, I'm going to keep walking, I'm going to keep forgiving, I'm going to keep worshiping, I'm going to keep my joy on, I'm going to keep my love on, I'm going to keep reading, I'm going to keep doing what I know, I'm going to keep doing what you've asked me to do, and then boom, the breakthrough happens. It's the simple thing, the simple act of obedience, and so they waited. And I just wonder what simple act of obedience might open up our door to the power of God this year. And maybe we ought to just have our ears tuned just a little bit. Second thing they did was this, and this may be a little bit surprising to you, that, but I really believe it's a key to inviting God's power into our life. It's number two. They set aside past differences for kingdom unity. Acts chapter one, verse 13, keep going. It says, and when they had entered, they went to the upper room. The upper room's a famous room now where a lot of stuff we'll see get ready to happen. It says where they were staying. Listen to the list of invitees, attendees to this thing. Peter and John, you'll know some of the names. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. All these were with, all these with one accord. This is unity, okay? They were in unity, kingdom unity were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So Jesus' family's there, disciples there. We know there's about 120 of them all together. But I want you to think about the possibilities for conflict from the past that was in this very room at that time. I mean, some of these disciples, remember there was a moment where James and John asked Jesus in front of everybody, hey, when you get into your kingdom, like, I'd like to sit on your right side, the right side of the throne, and then if we could put him on the left side of the throne, wouldn't that, would you do that for us? <laughs> I mean, you imagine the audacity of that. If you keep reading the story, the Bible says that the other 10, the other 10 disciples were indignant with these guys. So can you imagine they get together in a room after all this commotion and everything's kind of settling down, and can you imagine kind of looking across the room and like remembering, I mean, Jesus just ascended, and these guys... Like they, these guys were trying to get ahead of the line of everyone else, right? There was a potential for some conflict there. Think about Peter's denial. I mean, it was a very public denial. Everyone else could have said, well, Peter, what are you doing here? He, he starts speaking up here in chapter one and then obviously later in chapter two, they could have said, Peter, you, you denied Jesus. Like, what are you doing? Who do you, what kind of leader do you think you are? Think about the potential for conflict. Peter had, had this jealousy over John the Beloved in John chapter 21, where he's like, what about John? What about him? You think about the conflict. Think about the moment when Jesus is doing his ministry, and he's, he's ministering, and somebody comes up to him and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? They're all right here. And so not only the fact that Jesus was like, kind of in one way kind of setting them to the side, but he also, you also have to realize that that means that Jesus' family wasn't even present for a lot of key parts of his ministry. And yet here they are in the room, like we want in now, right? Can you imagine the amount of conflict that was possible in this room? But they set aside past conflicts, past differences for the sake of kingdom unity. And I'm going to say it so boldly, I really believe this, that kingdom unity attracts God's power. Whenever you see a people, a church, a group, a family, whatever it is, that gets in kingdom unity, that lets 
little things be little things and let's even the big things to say there's more important things and, and, and orient themselves around Jesus, something is possible with that type of group. Whenever it's kingdom unity attracts God's power. And so let this just be a warning for some of us because for some of us this year, if I could just warn us, if we don't understand this, for some of us this year, distrust, disunity, offense, unforgiveness will be a power blocker in your life this year. For some of us, this is such a big deal that we will end up going another trip around, as they say, and then we'll end up in the same place, if not worse, because we don't understand what it's like to walk in unity in our family, in our church family, in our friendships, in our marriage, whatever it is. We don't understand how to walk in unity. But it's kingdom unity that attracts God's power. Do you want to know a key to kingdom unity? It's actually right here in the scripture. It says they prayed. Do you know that it's hard, it's hard to stray from unity with those who you genuinely, intensely, and consistently pray with and pray for? It's hard to stray away in your heart from unity from those type of people because those you pray for and pray with, it brings unity in your heart. Let me tell you even some of the things that I do and how far it has to go for me. And some of you guys will totally identify with this. And maybe you'll think, I've got to start doing that now. But let me tell you, there are some people who when I get ready to open up their social media post, I have to pray (laughs) before I look at it. And I'm serious, I do this. There's, There's some people who I know they're gonna post something that in my natural, my flesh is gonna push back on. And so what do I do? I will spend, I literally spend time praying for them, saying, God, I know your heart towards them. Lord, orient my heart towards them. I know that whatever they are getting ready to to put out there, Lord, I just give grace and your love. And I seriously, I'll take time and then I will open it and then I will pray for them. I'm not even, I know that's funny, but it's not, it's like, I'm not doing it to be fun. I'm doing it to really, to put my heart in a place of unity towards people, to have the heart of God. Because I don't need unforgiveness in my heart. I don't need offense in my heart. I don't need to get riled up about something in my heart. I need the love, I need the fruit of the spirit to be in every contact that I have with somebody. I don't need to go any day, any moment, any second interaction or conversation that, doesn't, that isn't permeated with the fruit of the Spirit. And so I, I enter into prayer for people. Why? Because I don't want division in my heart. Even through online interactions, as silly as that may seem, it's absolutely true. Because I believe that if there's any root of bitterness in my life, it is only going to cause damage in my life. There's no fruit from a bitterness root. There's nothing that's going to benefit me by having that, by nursing it, by giving it a home, by entertaining it, by telling other people about it, by sharing it, by by coddling it. There's no benefit to me to do that. And so whatever I can do to have unity with other people, it doesn't mean I give up distinctions or I give up my, you know, uh, truth. You guys know that. I'm just saying my heart towards other people 
I have to keep a pure heart towards other people, regardless of what is happening. And that, I believe, attracts God's power. I believe that's a, that's a power attractor. And so it's hard for me to, to stray from unity. So the third thing that they did as they were waiting, they were ultimately praying, which I believe produced a unity in them. But as they were in the upper room, they were open to something that had never happened before. I mean, what you're getting ready to, to hear about, I mean, some of you guys already know what's coming, Acts chapter two, one through four, that as they were waiting, tongues of fire on their head, they all began speaking in tongues. Like that had never, that, that was something they had never experienced before. But they were ready and they were open to it. So they obeyed simple instructions. They had kingdom unity. And now they're open to say, God, whatever you have for us, here we are. God surprised them, but they were positioned for surprise. And you guys know that there are times when God can surprise you. I talked about my sabbatical, uh, you know, about four and a half years ago. I went on that not realizing how much I actually needed a sabbatical. But beyond that, while I was on sabbatical, I had an encounter with God that actually took me by surprise. And I, the re- I, I kind of hesitate to even share some of this because I know some people are already going to say, eh, I don't know about that. That's kind of weird. Did that really happen? Can you verify? Like, I know where people automatically go when you hear a story like this. But all I can, I, the reason I share this with you is because I want you to know that encounters with God didn't stop when this was written. Remember, there was a part one and part two. You and I are part three. So if we are part three, why wouldn't we expect the stuff that happened here to happen in here? Why, why wouldn't we expect that, right? And so I share this story with you, and I think the last time I shared it was a couple years ago, this, this video of what happened. Uh, I share it with you because I want you to know that even though it may seem strange, and even though you've never had something like this happen before, I hadn't either, but I was open to whatever God had. And so here's a story of what happened to me on my last sabbatical. Let's watch. So I've been in Montana for a few days at this point and I decided, I mean, I've been hiking several times and I decided that I was gonna go to this place on this particular day called Madison Buffalo Jump. And Madison Buffalo Jump is this bluff. It's like this this rocky cliff that kind of comes up out of the ground. And in pre-1700s, before the Indians had horses and hunted a little bit different, they would use something like this Actually, they would use this as a hunting tool. And some lucky guy would draw the short straw and he would have to put on some sort of animal skin and he would have to get up on top of the bluff and catch the eye of this buffalo herd, the lead buffalo, and start running as fast as he could towards the cliff's edge. And all of the buffalo would start chasing after this dude and he would run towards the cliff and he would jump off the cliff to a previously decided safe spot and all of the other, all the buffalo couldn't stop. And so they would end up falling off the cliff to their death. And the ones who didn't die, they would finish off there at the bottom. And, and all of the women would be all ready down there below. They would have all of the stuff ready to butcher all of the animal and, and they'd be saved for another winter. In fact, they'd have a big party that evening to celebrate that they were gonna make it through another winter. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating place. And so I've showed up at this place and I, and I'm there at the bottom looking up at this bluff 
just kind of in awe of the history and all of the, the stuff that goes along with it. But, but if you know me, being at the bottom was not enough. And so I decided I got to get up to the top and I got to see where the buffalo jumped off. And so I followed this lonely trail up to the top. I made my way all the way up to the top of this bluff and I began to look out. And as I looked out, it was the most, I mean, it was one of the most beautiful views I've ever seen. I mean, 360 mountains everywhere. I'm all alone. There's no one there at the top of this thing. There's no one there as far as the eye can see. And so I decided I'm going to take a chance there, that I might just have an encounter with God, that I might just hear God speak in some way. I mean, I've put myself in this position to do this and I've been going for days and and there's a thunderstorm off in the distance. I know I can't stay long. I don't want to get struck by lightning. I don't want to become a statistic. And so I know I've just got this window. And so I begin to pray. I begin to just worship God. I mean, no one else is there. I begin to just worship God. Finally, I get down on my knees and I begin to pray. I get down on my face and I just lay in the dirt and I'm just crying out to God. I'm just praying in the spirit. Finally, after a little bit, I get up because you know, sometimes you feel that way, like you're just making something happen. And I just felt like I was numb still. I felt like I was just trying to make something happen. And finally, I just spoke out to God. I just cried out to God. You know, God doesn't care if you're honest with Him. And I just cried out to God and I said, God, I feel like I've done everything I can do to put myself in a position to encounter you. I've done everything I can do. If you want something to happen in me, you're just going to have to do it. And I think when I finally came to the end of me, <laughs> that's when God can start to add him into there. And so, but I knew I had to get off. I was done. I had to get off before this rainstorm. And so I started to make my way back towards the path that went down. And, and as I began to go back there, I began to continue to pray. I continued to worship. I continued to pray, you know, to pray and to cry out for the, for breakthrough, for anointing. And uh, as I did that, the Holy Spirit just quickened in me that verse that says the kingdom of God is within you. And instantly, and this is where it gets interesting, because instantly I saw inside of myself. And I began to get swallowed up in this vision. And I, I began to just be drawn. I, the way I describe it is it was so slow and so fast at the same time. And I become captivated. And what I saw was this fear on the inside of me. It was like this blackened, hardened, chiseled, lava-like, planet-like sphere on the inside of me, just hovering there. And as I began to watch this, I'm, like, I'm caught up in this, nothing else. I, I'm not aware of anything else at this point. And I'm caught up in this and I begin to watch this. All of a sudden, cracks begin to emerge in this sphere. And immense light begins to shine through. And of course, I knew what it was. It was the kingdom of God just breaking through and immense light. And then all of a sudden, without warning to me, this sphere just explodes on the inside. And as it explodes, I just yell out, yes, God, just uncontrollably. And at the same time that this thing explodes, I black out. I mean, I physically, this wasn't just like a vision thing. I physically just black out because of the concussion of this kingdom atom bomb going off on the inside of me. And as I come to, I begin to just feel waves of the presence of God. It starts from the epicenter. It begins to work its way towards my head and towards my arms and begins to eventually go towards my feet. And it begins to just continue to wash over me as, you know, kind of like a, a ripple of water eventually will lose inertia, but it, it just kept going until finally subsided. And 
So I'm just standing there. As you can imagine, in this encounter with God, just in the presence of God, just drinking this up. And it's, I finally began to come out of this. And, and the way I describe it is kind of like when you take your sunglasses off after you've had them on for a while and all the colors start to return to normal. And I just sat there drinking up the presence of God. And as I did, all of a sudden, this other thought came into my mind. It was the rain. I don't want to be struck by lightning. And I've got to get off of this thing. And so I began to look for my path down. And my path, where it should be, it was just gone. It wasn't there. And I began to look. And finally, after some time of, of looking, I found not the path that was wide and well used. I saw this little path that had just the grass just barely pushed down on it. And I'm like, I don't care, I'm gonna follow this thing. It looked like it was going in the right direction. So I follow this thing. It looked like it had been used by a guy who was lost like me or some Indian in the 1700s before me. And I start to follow this thing. And finally, after several minutes, I encounter the original path that I should have been at all along. And listen, I'm not gonna try to convince anybody. I'm not gonna try to explain this. Here's what I know. Somehow, instantaneously, from my perspective, I traveled a half mile in an instant. I went from where I knew I was to waking up and being at this other spot instantaneously. And, and I, I mean, it was like, why would God do that? God began to show me some things later about the well-known path versus the ancient path and the scripture out of Jeremiah chapter six that I'm not gonna go into now. All I know is the only thing that happened in that was the blackout, was that encounter with God. Somehow, I, I don't know how to explain all of what happened to me, but all I know is this, I had an encounter with God that has forever marked my life. We've gotta get hungry for encountering God. We've gotta get hungry for those type of encounters again. We've gotta be hungry for the supernatural. We have to be hunger, have a hunger for the kingdom of God, have our appetite rise back up in us to have the kingdom of God on the inside, just exploding on the inside of us. Now I know some of you are probably like, well, I'm never coming back here after hearing that, so. Uh... <laughs> but I want you to know things like this happen in the Bible, right? We're gonna, we're gonna read about a guy you know, a little bit later on here, a few chapters, this very type of thing happened to him. In fact, as we go through the series, I'm gonna show you how uh, Becca and I, about a year and a half ago, went back to Buffalo Jump. So we returned to Buffalo Jump, and I might show you some of what, um, what we talked about when we went back. But the point is, is that I believe that the power of God is not just reserved for the pages of Scripture. I believe that, not that we are to seek after dramatic things like that. I'm just saying that, that if we don't think that those things happen, somehow we have, we, we have reserved God to what he used to do, but he doesn't do anymore. He doesn't do any of that anymore. And that is not what the scriptures teach, okay? I, I don't know what you've heard, but that's not what the scriptures teach. And so what begins to happen, what begins to happen with these guys in this upper room was they were surprised by something that had never happened before that seemed quite strange. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And I want you to picture this, okay, in light of just, I just told you a story that happened to me. But picture this as if it really happened, because if you believe the Bible, 
then you know that this is not just a fable. This is something that actually literally happened. It says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house. Remember, this is in a house, okay? And where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were speaking in languages that they didn't know previously when this event happened. Like it was the power of God and it certainly, we know if you keep reading, others thought it was strange. <laughs> they were like, what, are these people drunk? <laughs> and they're like, no, it's only the third hour. Like maybe if it wasn't the third hour, maybe, but no. It was kind of like a little joke by Peter in there and he's saying, no, they're not drunk. This is the power of God because they were open to something that had never happened before. And this event, I realize, if you've got any history following Jesus uh, and you have any access to the internet, then you realize that this event that's talked about here has some controversy to it. Here's what I think is sad. I think it's sad that one of the things that Jesus was most excited about, this event, he talked about it over and over and over again. He's like, it's coming, just wait. The, the, the power, the promise of the Father, the, the Holy Spirit, you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's like, it's coming. Jesus is excited about it. It's one of the last things he tells them about. I think it's sad that one of the things Jesus was most excited about, what happened in Acts 2, 1 through 4, has become a source of controversy and division and even disdained by some of his very followers. I think it's sad. And yet it is the case because, and what I also find curious, because some people are like, that's just weird. And I don't believe God does anything that I don't think he would do. Like that's kind of essentially where we, I don't believe God still does the things that happened in here. And what I find strange about that is that if you believe, like, let's just think logically for just a second. If you believe, most of you guys are, are followers of Jesus in here. What it means is you believe that God, before anything existed, spoke words, and when he spoke words, it created everything we see. You're in this room because you believe that. You're in this room and we worshiped and we sang to a God that we can't see with our physical eyes, at least most of the time. You're in this room doing that. If you've made it this far, <laughs> Why do we think it's strange that God might speak to one of us and tell us to say something to somebody else? Why do we think that's so strange? There's a logical fallacy there. It's like the next logical thing that should happen, if you believe God spoke words that created everything, then the next logical thing is to believe that God might say something to me too. That's logical. It's illogical to think that God would never do that again. Because God is living and acting, active. He is alive. He, he's, we're not deists around here to believe that God once did something and wound the clock and then never, ever touches humanity again. That's not what we do. That's not what we believe here. We believe God is interacting in our lives. And if God is interacting in our life, can I just suggest there might be times when God does something that you didn't expect. 
might I suggest that God might do something that in your box seems a little different because it certainly was in the disciples' box. And I can tell you what I, the story I just told you, it was certainly outside of my box as well. But the disciples said, here I am, God. I want your power, and I'll do what you ask to do, but I, want, I don't want to just live natural life. I don't want to just follow you just in my head and just with head knowledge. I want to follow you with my whole being. You know, if you say that, and if you're open to something that has never happened before, guess what? Something that has never happened before might just happen. It might just happen. You know, I heard this story this week about this, uh, this guy who is a long time ago now, and some of you guys have probably heard this story, but he was a guy that was going into class one day, I think it was a college class, he was going to this college class, and he showed up late, and, he, and as he showed up, there was these two math problems on the board, and so he just jotted them down, thinking that they were homework, he went home, he started working on them, and they were tougher than normal, but he kept working, and he kept working on them, and finally, he finished the problem, he came back in to, to the assignment, and he showed, you know, turned in his stuff, and what was fascinating is the professor was like, so shocked because he said, do you realize these were two unsolvable math problems that I put on the board? But because he didn't realize they were unsolvable, he solved them. What if we approached life in the spirit that way? What if we approached life in the spirit as if anything is possible, whatever God wants to do? And we didn't treat everything as unsolvable problems or things that we have already worked out or we didn't create borders for everything, but we simply came before God and said, God, whatever you wanna do in 2023, I'm open. You know what I think might happen? God might surprise you because God is a God of surprises. Here's my question as the worship team can make their way back because I'm, I'm wrapping it up, but what area are you hanging on to your dignity instead of a God opportunity this year? What, what area of your life that it's like God's saying, just throw your net on the other side and just see what happens. Just open up your heart. Just, just be ready for anything and just see what, is there some area of your life where that may be happening because God surprised them but they were positioned for surprise. Now, some of you guys remember a long, long time ago I shared this story, but this year my mom gave me a, gave each one of us families a, a book, a, kind of a remembrance book with pictures and old pictures, and I, I saw this picture of my dad, and it was uh, this picture right here, and he's holding this camcorder. That's my dad, yeah, several years ago, but... Um, this picture reminded me of a story, and the, the story many of you guys have heard, but when we were young, I was probably, I don't know, 11, 12, I can't remember what age I was, but I could tell my dad was up to something. You ever know when somebody's just up to something, and you're like, what are you up to? And we kind of were saying, Dad, what are you doing? And he just said this line. He said, surprises are in the air, and that's all he said. And that, of course, tormented us, right, but in a good way. And so we'd ask him again. He'd say it multiple times. He'd just say, surprises are in the air. And then one day, he showed up with this trailer hooked up to his truck, and he had all this stuff that he had. It was like a new couch. It was like a bunch of new stuff that he'd been working on bringing uh, to us. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, and so this was like just like going to Disney World or something, right? And, but the thing was, as he pulled up with that, 
he was videoing our reaction with this very camcorder that is so large, it's like one of those boom boxes, right? You guys remember those? But he was videoing us as we came in. And so that memory is etched in my mind forever and forever tied with that line, surprises are in the air. Could we live like that spiritually this year? Surprises are in the air. Could you live like that spiritually this year that maybe there are new levels, maybe surprising levels, not just new, not just New Year's resolutions, but something that only God can do through his power? Could we live like that this year? Because if we did, I think what would happen is that God would surprise us this year. If we would just follow simple instructions, We'd set aside the past, whatever we've, we've had a conflict with in the past. And I mean even just with God, like even just with church and stuff like that. If we just set that aside, suspend that this year. And then just simply say, God, I'm open to whatever you have. Even if it's never happened to me before. Maybe it's happened to somebody else, but God, I'm open. I don't want to limit you. And so as we close, would you stand up with me? And I'm going to pray a prayer over you. And I'm just calling this my surprise me prayer, okay? And for those of you guys, I know some of you guys are like, all right, I'm, I don't want anything to do with this. Some of you guys are like, something has leapt on the inside of you when I'm talking today. For some of you, something on the inside of you is waking up. And if that's you, just prepare your hearts and, and just, I'm gonna pray this, but you receive it as if it's your prayer. God, would you surprise us this year? God, would you transform us this year? God, we open up our hearts to all that you have for us. Lord, would you give us power beyond our own ability this year? Would you give us strength that we couldn't muster up on our own? Lord, would you do things in us that maybe are outside of our box? Lord, would you transform us Lord, would you do something that we would have a story to tell about that would give you glory? Lord, would you do something in us this year that would surprise us? Lord, would you do something in us that would shake us, that would wake us, that would awaken us, that would cause us to walk at a new place of freedom, breakthrough, power, and purpose? Lord, surprise me this year. You might even just say that out loud with your own words. Just say, God, surprise me this year. Lord, I am open to your surprise. Lord, my life is open. Lord, I will do what you say. I will listen to what you say. I will follow what you say. Lord, would you surprise me this year? Fill me with your power beyond my own ability. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond in worship today.